Hey, podcast community, it's Eric, and I've got something exciting for all you online entrepreneurs out there. If you're looking to take your e-commerce store to the next level, you need to check out Aurora Repricer. With Aura, you can effortlessly reprice your Amazon inventory automatically. Ready to elevate your Amazon business? Head over to foxcitiesmm.com slash Aura. That's A-U-R-A to get started today. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. Gavin, we're back again. Yes. What are we talking about? Uh, we got a murder. We got a murder? So, yeah. so is this a true murder? Yeah, of course it's a true murder. murder. Well, no, I mean like <laughs> I don't mean like is it factually accurate? I mean like uh like is it an <clears throat> actual killing? Yes. Cuz sometimes we do not do killings. No, this really is. Is a killing? So, it really is. I'm going to tell you right up front. This is not our most exciting episode. It is not the most exciting episode. It is not our most exciting episode. But Way to set it up, man. Way to really set it up. Yes. But <laughs> but I want people to stick around and and hear it out because I think I think there's an important message in this episode. So uh, I want people to kind of just just you know the murder part is not the most exciting murder you're ever going to hear, but I think there's some I think there's some stuff worth sticking around for. All right, well I'm here. I'm signed in. <clears throat> so where were we headed to? Black Creek originally. Black Creek and Appleton. Black Creek and Apple. Wow. So we're getting really local today. Yeah. Feels like we haven't been this close to. We haven't been in Appleton for a while. I know. So. I know. So this is this is pretty local. It's on the north side of Appleton. All right. All right. This is about Irwin Hayden, and Irwin Hayden, uh, born 1904 in Black Creek. Uh, he's one of the last of several children. Uh, to August and Hulda Hayden. Also living with them were Irwin's paternal grandparents and a farm laborer, uh, a whole extended family living on the farm in Black Creek. Uh, by 1940, at age 36, Irwin had taken over the family farm. Uh, two brothers stayed on to help him, and their elderly mother was still living on the farm as well. He didn't apparently want the farm life, even though he took <laughs> over the farm. <laughs> Because by 1948, at 44 years old, he was married to Mabel, a divorced woman with a 16-year-old son. Uh, he took on the son as, as his own, and he took up work as a carpenter. So he kind of switched gears there a bit. We don't know what happened to the farm. Did somebody else take it over? I don't know. Just, just cease to exist? I, I don't know. I don't okay. know if the farm is still there or not. It's not important to the story, so I didn't look into okay. it. <laughs> I don't know about Irwin, but his new wife, Mabel, was a regular attendee of St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mackville, a congregation that, here's the history part, congregation that dates back to 1864. Wow. So that's an old church. At first, things in the family were apparently going well. But in November 1951, just after Thanksgiving, Irwin had what was called a nervous breakdown. He had episodes in the past, but this time was the worst. He would talk irrationally on the job, 
and often would not be able to work for more than three or four hours without lying down. During his nervous spells, he would sometimes just stare blankly at nothing. Before Christmas, the Haydens were visited by Reverend Gunther uh, from St. John's. Mabel told the pastor that she felt sorry for her husband and wished that she could help. She said, I have a new beautiful home, I have everything I want, and Erwin is a good husband to me. What else can I expect? The pastor found Erwin to be a pleasant and good-hearted man. He was a bit odd when he wasn't feeling well, but when he was when he was okay, he was hmm. a nice enough guy. Mm-hmm. Arthur Hyden said that his brother had lost faith in everything since his nervous breakdown. He explained that Irwin felt that he was overworked and that customers bothered him when they kept calling him because they wanted their work done faster. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you know how it is. Yeah. Yeah. And pesky customers. This job would be great if it wasn't for the freaking customers. Yeah. <laughs> Irwin appeared nervous when Mabel's sister, Elsie, and her husband visited the family in early March of 1952, Elsie and Mabel conversed by telephone almost every day. Elsie was worried about Irwin's condition, and she asked Mabel if she was afraid of him. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> what was that? That's, that's the foreshadowing. <laughs> that, that's like the build-up to the suspenseful part? Yeah. Okay. Then came March 17th, 1952. Which is St. Patrick's Day, if if anybody cares. It's not relevant to the story, but St. Patrick's Day. Irwin left for work at a construction site early that morning, but he returned shortly after 8 a.m., unable to focus on the job. Arthur, his brother, returned with him, and they went to work on the furnace at their house. Irwin did not go back to work that day. Mabel's son, Leroy visited his mother in the living room after eating lunch and then went into Appleton to work about 12.55 p.m. At the time that Leroy was there, Irwin was in the bedroom and it had not come out. Then a few hours later, Appleton police received a telephone call at 2.37 p.m. It was from a man who refused to give his name. He said he wanted an ambulance sent at once to the corner of Highway 41 and North Mason Street. Uh, And I'm not 100%. Somebody can correct me on this if I'm wrong. But I believe that at the time, in in the 50s, Highway 41 was just Northland Avenue. So Mason Street would have ran right out to Highway 41. Yeah. Right. His wife was dead and his wrists were cut and he was bleeding badly, he told police. The message was relayed to the Sheriff's Department. And within a minute... Special investigators Jack Zulski and Jack Frenzel and county policeman John Bandy were on the way to the scene. Zulski and Bandy began a search of the homes in the area. Bandy opened the rear door of the Hyden home, the fourth house that he checked. Mabel Hyden, age 39, was found on a blood-soaked bed at her home around 2.45 p.m. She was wrapped in a bedspread, and the room showed no signs of a struggle. Under the bedspread, Mabel was dressed in blue jeans and a blouse, black and white saddle shoes and silk stockings, and was wearing a red coat and a fur collar. Her husband, Irwin, was in the kitchen of the home with his wrists and and throat slashed. 
He was rushed to the hospital by ambulance. Two blood transfusions were given, but his condition was such that the man could not answer questions coherently. Irwin had a nine-inch gash on his neck and deep lacerations on both wrists. The tendons in his wrists were cut. His condition was described as poor. Irwin's stomach was pumped because police found a can of poison used for cleaning porcelain in the bathroom that was open and were afraid that he might have taken some. He had not. Okay. (laughs) After questioning him the next morning, Undersheriff Lyman Clark believed it was a case of murder and attempted suicide. Although he was vague on the details, Irwin told Undersheriff Clark, the Lieutenant Jack Zolski, and District Attorney Fred Freilich that he must have slashed his wife's throat while she was sleeping and that he must have cut his own wrists and throat when he realized what had happened. Urban said he had taken four or five sleeping tablets about noon and had gone into the bedroom to rest. He said he was lying on the bed when Leroy, his wife's son, came home and that his wife came to the bedroom and laid down shortly after the boy left the house. A two-inch jackknife covered with blood was found in Irwin's pocket when he was admitted to the hospital. Authorities believed it was the murder weapon. Irwin at first denied that the knife was his, even though it was in his pocket, (laughs) but then remembered it was an old one that had been lying around the house for a while. (laughs) A post-mortem examination... Uh, conducted at the funeral home, showed that Mabel had suffered four and a half, one, I'm really stumbling today, (laughs) one four and a half inch cut and another wound one and a half inches long on the throat. The death instrument sliced the larynx and almost severed the jugular vein. Mabel was pronounced dead at 3.10 p.m. The coroner said that she had died within the last hour. A copy of the April edition of True Story magazine was found on the floor behind the bed. Undersheriff Clark said it was open to the last page of part one of an article called My Home Was Hell. The teaser line under the title said, Nobody saw the evil that lived in our house night and day until it boiled up in bloody tragedy. Wow, that's creepy, huh? The story was about a man who killed his wife with a stove poker. So, I mean, pretty much a coincidence there, <laughs> but, 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 yeah. <laughs> but a weird thing to find in the house at that moment. <laughs> Leroy was a student at Lawrence University. Police lieutenant searched for an hour before he found Leroy uh, at work in an Appleton store. Leroy broke into sobs as he entered the house and cried, I don't want to go in there, when, you know, they had him walk through the scene. Mm-hmm. When questioned, Leroy told authorities that his stepfather had a nervous breakdown back in November and had worked only infrequently since that time. Other relatives also said that Haydn had been ill for several months and that he had similar nervous trouble about three years ago but had recovered. Irwin was charged with murder on March 22nd, a few days later. He was in the hospital for around two weeks, finally able to make a court appearance in early April. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. On April 8th, at the request of both the prosecution and the defense, uh, Irwin was sent to the Central State Hospital in Waupon to be examined for 30 days. Uh, After those 30 days, he was actually brought back for trial. Mm -hmm. They selected a pool of 74 jurors. 
They were able to get that down to 12 jurors and two alternates without any any problems. State only took one day with its case. The final the final witness for the state was Leroy. He said, Irwin wouldn't let my mother go anywhere. Every place mother went, he was right behind her. He also said Mabel threatened to leave Irwin because of his poor employment record. The defense called in a few psychiatrists, which, you know, what you're going to do if you're right. claiming insanity. The psychiatrist gave conflicting reports. Dr. James Hurley believed that Haydn was mentally unbalanced on the day of the murder. Dr. Jefferson Klepfer believed that Haydn had been sane, but still recommended that he be institutionalized anyway. The jury was apparently not swayed by the psychiatrist and found Irwin guilty, not because of insanity. The judge sentenced him to life in prison. Within a few months of the murder, and this is totally coincidence, but within a few months of the murder, uh, Leroy actually got married in Black Creek. I have to imagine that is that wasn't the greatest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> hey, no. congratulations, you got married. Also, your parents are dead. <laughs> Hooray for you. At the time that Leroy got married, he actually changed his name to his wife's last name which is extremely unusual for the 1950s, just to kind of, you know, distance himself a little bit from that that. situation. Also, he has a very long Polish name that I am not going to try to say. So it probably was part of the other reason that he thought changing his name would be a good idea. Erwin Hayden actually died in Appleton, not in Wapan prison. So he got out at some point Point. uh, in November 1969, which means that he was only in prison for at most 15 years. It's actually unknown to me if Leroy is still alive as of this uh, as of this writing, as of today. I wasn't able to find anything saying that he had passed, so he might actually still be around. Now, as I said, like, at the very beginning, this is not the most exciting murder story. Like, it's it's pretty straightforward, other than the... I must have killed her. Like, yeah. like instead of saying that he did or denying it, he's just like, I guess I must have. Um, well, did he say that because when he went into these spells, would he <clears> just <throat> kind of black out and not even know what he had done? I think that's part of it. Yeah, and, he, and he's like blaming like being on the sleeping pills at the time. So who knows like how out of... I mean, I don't know what sleeping pills he was on, but uh, I can tell you like one time, one time I was prescribed Ambien yeah, whatever you do, whatever you do, like when you're on Ambien, you will not remember. <laughs> you will just, not remember. It, it was kind of like you just came down and you were like, you were like, what, what, what has been going on for the past three days or whatever? Yeah, like you, t- they're they're sleeping pills. So like you take them to go to bed, but then like it'll be like mid morning, and then you're all of a sudden you're like, like wait a second. What did I do this morning? And you won't you won't remember. <laughs> so they're really strong, strong stuff. <laughs> but anyway, so like I said at the, at the get go, what I want to do with this episode because like it's it's not the most exciting episode. It's you know, murder is always exciting in its own way. But what I find interesting about this is the state of mental health in 1952. Yes, because clearly they're they're saying that he's having mental breakdowns. Yes. And I feel like he definitely has some sort of of mental dysfunction or something 
not normal going on with him that he's having these breakdowns. Yeah. It, I, I guess, is, and that is that kind of the direction you're going with it? Yeah, too? that's so... Like I'm using the term nervous breakdown because that's what it that's what the newspapers used. I'm not really fond of that term. Nervous breakdowns are a thing. But like I don't feel like that's an accurate description of what is going on. No, him. I don't think so either. It almost sounds like I mean I I'm not I'm by no means a doctor that to to diagnosis but like a schizophrenic type thing yeah, yeah, maybe it could be. or Something along those lines. Something much more serious than just a breakdown. But yeah, this is this is what really strikes me about this. So I was kind of curious, and I don't know if you're familiar or if this has come up like on your on your other podcast, your Stigmas and Open Wounds podcast. But there's a there's a diagnostic manual called the DSM. I'm very familiar with the DSM. Yes. Okay, all right. So. so like right now, the DSM is up to edition five. Okay, and it's it gets updated maybe every 10 years or so. And every time it gets updated, new things are added. Other things are removed because, you know, every 10 years we realize that some things that we were saying were mental illness weren't mental illness. It was just, that's normal. It's weird, but it's normal. Um, and we should probably say the DSM is a manual, basically, they use. It's kind of the guidebook to diagnosing what's wrong with the person. Right. <clears throat> You know, and it's not just mental illness. It's basically everything, if I understand it correctly. I think it's right? primarily mental illness, but yeah, there's there's a range of stuff in there. And I, I mentioned that only to say that even the first edition of that book had not come out yet in 1952. So I'm not sure what the way of diagnosing people at that time was. I don't know. And... I get the impression that this whole thing, the murder, a bottom line, the murder, may not or probably not would have happened if Irwin had been treated differently. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's saying, oh, he has these spells. Oh, he has these breakdowns. Oh, whatever. And they're like, he stares off blankly at times. He, he, he misses days of work. He comes home early from work. Whatever. There's all this, like, everybody knows he's having issues, and everybody knows it's mental issues. Like, mm -hmm. they're not like, oh, he's lazy. Like, right. they know there's something not right. But at no point in the story did I say, or did I find, that he had ever actually gone to the hospital. Right. So I don't know that anybody at any point was trying to get him treatment for this, or if they were just like, well, you're having a spell. Just lay down for a few hours. And, and you know, that could very well have been the culture back then. I think it was you, you the know, culture. You like, know, like when you saw something like that, you just figured, like, there isn't, there's no reason to go to the hospital. Just lay him down and he'll get over it. And and how many murders probably occurred because of that, <laughs> you know, yeah. in truth. So. No, I think it was the culture because we didn't have as many understood diagnoses then i mean obviously we didn't have as many then we didn't have as many medications then i mean so like it a culture was clearly different but it strikes me that they didn't apparently even try well and you don't know though because what did it look like back then could he have gone to the doctor and the doctor said there's really just nothing we can do for you. You know, if he has these spells, this is just kind of contain him, get him laid down, get him, yeah. and he'll get, it'll pass. Yeah. I you mean, know, you don't know. I guess it, 
It's so tough. It's mm. so tough because there was the asylum, but I don't know like if that's if that's like the extreme, if that's what it is. Either either you do nothing or you go to the asylum. Yeah, and, and that's and like well then like what are you going to do? You're going to be like, well, I clearly have issues. But I also kind of need to go to work and and support my family, right? So I can't go to the asylum, so right? I, yeah, I don't know. Like it's just and, and you think about it too, like like you said earlier, the 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 wife, mm-hmm. she said for the most part he he was a really good husband. He just had these spells, yeah. So you're not going to be prone to like lock my husband up in an asylum just because periodically he has spells, yeah. You know, it's just kind of an interesting. Without us knowing really what it was like back then, was this normal or was this a failure if somebody did not get him the help he needed? I don't know. You but, know? But this, like, this is, I, I don't even know exactly the point I want to make, to be <laughs> perfectly honest with you. But, like, this isn't, nobody, not the wife, not the son, not the priest, nobody, nobody is claiming they're having fights. Nobody's claiming there's violence. Mm-hmm. Nobody's claiming any of that. So, like, this was not like, oh, yeah, well, that that's what happens. You know, you, you're in an abusive situation and you don't get out. So, no, it's not that story. This is a guy who most of the time is perfectly normal. <laughs> what do you do here? Like, there's like there was nothing to say, like, this guy's going to be a problem. Right. You know, like, the worst thing that happens is he has to take naps. Like, that's not that bad. <laughs> you bad. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess, I guess, really, what I, I my point, if I have one, is just like how frustrating this is. Right. I think to it, try to analyze this from today's point of view and being like, what do you do here? How could this have been prevented? And I, I have to figure this is part of the. Like, I don't know why he got out in fifteen years or less. I don't know, but I have to presume that part of the reason was the people were sympathetic to him because, because he had there was nothing indicating violence in him mm-hmm. you know so i'm sure he had everybody from the pastor on down writing letters saying like no oh, this is a good guy this was a freak accident and and it could totally be that while he was in prison for 15 years mm-hmm. they were able to properly diagnose what he had maybe. because technology advanced or maybe You know, it was just a matter of getting the right, you know, maybe this is a thing that they never addressed this issue properly. They finally got a doctor in there that addressed it, got him on the medication he needed, and he was perfectly normal at that point. And that's possible. You know. I mean, I don't don't claim at all to be well-versed in the history of of pharmaceuticals. (laughs) I do think that the 60s were a significant step up from the 50s. That that's possible. That's certainly possible. Yeah, I'm like I'm trying to think of what even was around because for the first half of the 1900s, my understanding is a lot of what it was was you know you had psychiatry, but you didn't really have, have like the the medical part, part of, of it. it. Yeah, and and psychiatry for some people, I I'll get in trouble for this. For some people, it works great, uh, and for some people, that's not the solution right 
Hey, it's really hard to fix. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get some psychiatrists now. <laughs> sending me a nasty message. Psychiatry is for everybody. Like no, no, like it is for everybody. But but but, but I'm I'm drawing a distinction here between psychiatry and therapy. Yeah, because Th- therapy can be for everybody. Psychiatry is like a specific thing. It sometimes sometimes somebody talking to somebody that that works, but it's a slower burn. And yeah. some people need a solution immediately because of the situation they're in. Yeah. The other funny thing. And if you need therapy, I recommend Better Health, <laughs> not a sponsor. <laughs> no, don't, don't really. That's a podcast joke. Okay, sorry. the The other thing that's really interesting, though, is is that how does how does this guy go from? So he's having these spells, but has never had any experience of violence, mm-hmm. and then. It almost seems strange to me that he goes from they they never say that he ever had any violent type tendencies, mm-hmm. and then he suddenly slits his wife's throat. And no, then, I don't get it. Yeah, it that is just bizarre, right? Yeah, like you would think you would see they would have like when they started telling the things that happened during these episodes he was having, you would see a progression to get to that point. Right. Where it doesn't even seem like that. It just seems... But I guess maybe... Yeah. And I, I mean, and, and I don't... Uh, you know, I'm relying, in in this case, entirely off of the newspaper account. There might have been things in the trial that, you know, I don't know, know about. about. Yeah, that's true. So there's certainly that. But based on what the public was told, they didn't say anything. They didn't say, like, oh, he would, he would have these episodes and he'd start kicking the dog. No, like, they didn't say that. Typically, the newspaper reporter is going to latch on to like the wild things that come out in the trial, and clearly, there must not have been that much wild stuff because they didn't. They didn't, yeah. And I think you should try to get a hold of this prisoner or this up, whatever record, yeah, to look at because the trial record. Because um, I would be curious to know what is shown there. Because I another thing that you said, they found him guilty and not insane, correct? Right. Correct. And don't you kind of find that one, based on the, everything you just told, it sounds like clearly there was something mentally this person was struggling. I would have absolutely... And it shocks me that they didn't find him. I would guilty. have absolutely said that he was guilty, but guilty by insanity it, or mental defect or whatever term you want to use. Yeah. But this, again, this I mean, this was to the jury, so... Maybe in the fifties, yeah. Maybe the jury that, didn't find that convincing. The jury's like, "Oh, sorry, you you got mental spells." Too and, bad. and like you said, he he for the most part was normal. So they probably you know he was trying to get a conviction of insanity, but yet he's sitting in a courtroom and looks completely normal. Yeah, which is a really hard thing to probably convince a jury you're insane when you don't when they see you and you don't appear to be. You right. know, at all. Right. So Yeah. It's an interesting So so you want me to want me to dig deeper on this one. I think it would be interesting to get okay. the present re- or the police whatever, the trial record. I, sure. I don't know the right terms, but just to see like what was presented in there, to see if there's something that they brought up that says, okay, makes some sense to whether something that shows that maybe he wasn't okay. anything wrong okay. with them. Maybe he just did so we'll, re- we'll revisit this one in the future then. Yeah, see, now I'm talking normal. <laughs> so I apologize to listeners because I don't know, maybe you can't tell on the listening end, but I can tell on the speaking end. Like I was stumbling for, for well, a while. At the beginning there. you were, but you were fine. Yeah, so. and uh, 
And uh, yeah, so we can do a follow-up on this. I can see what more I can find. Right. Court record is probably out there. The police record's probably yeah. out there. The parole record would absolutely still be out there. And that would be also just be interesting to see what they what was talked about when they tried to get him out. Right. You know, like, what was the reason for letting him out? Because... A lot of that's really thorough, too. Like, the parole record is generally not just, like, you know, he writes a letter to the parole board or the governor or whatever, and he's like, please let me out. Like, that's not what the record is. They go through, and, and I mean, they talk to people, and they... And they re-examine the crime and see, like, do we need to keep you locked up? Because this is just way too bad to let you out. So, like, the parole record isn't just, like, a two-page, please let me out. Okay, you're out. They they actually do some digging into that. So so there's more information in there than just the parole part. And I think that would be another really interesting aspect to look at. Because maybe, I could be wrong, but maybe in the 50s, this was a standard time if you killed Mm -hmm. somebody. That you went to prison, but to me it seems very short for the heinous. He slit her throat, right? Yeah, I mean that's pretty heinous, and to only get fifteen years for that seems bizarre. Well, he was me. given he was given life, but he right. got but he got out early. But. Yeah, so it would just be interesting to see like what was the rationale behind letting him out. Yeah, and you I know? don't know how hard it was to get declared insane. Like I'm trying to think in the fifties, and I the only. The only case I know, and I'm sorry because this is like so extreme, but the only case I can think of is like the Ed Gein case. Mm -hmm. You know, he was declared insane, and I don't think anybody would doubt that. (laughs) But like, is that how bad you have to be for a jury to be like, oh, yeah, this guy's insane? insane. Yeah. So interesting. Well, for for a boring episode, I feel like that one went pretty well, man. Yeah, well, that's so. what I said. Like, the, the murder part is pretty straightforward. But I think there's some interesting issues in here that really need to be explored deeper. So Yeah. So hopefully we will vi- revisit this one and have some further answers for those questions for everybody. Yeah. All right. Do you have anything else for this episode? Should we wrap it up? We can wrap it up. I don't know. Like, we'll, we'll come back. We'll... we'll We'll judge this one again when we've got a few more details and and maybe we can kind of piece out what was going on. Totally. All right, then we will wrap this episode up. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode and we thanks thank everybody for tuning in. All right, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem. 